Welcome to Mind and Soul Matters, I'm Farah Feeney. Through conversations with everyday people, Mind and Soul Matters aims to broaden our understanding of mental health and spirituality, and to deepen our insights into the challenges and meaning of our lives. We all want to have fulfilling relationships, particularly with our partner and children. The Harvard Happiness Study, which spanned over 85 years, the longest-running study on happiness, found that positive relationships are the greatest predictor of our happiness, health and well-being. So how do we go about achieving positive, fulfilling relationships? We are joined today by family therapist Nilly Cope, whose philosophy is to create homes that are a fortress for well-being, helping people build relationships that are free of tension and stress. Nilly has a Bachelor of Science with Honours in Psychology from the University of Western Australia, with further specialist training in family and relationship therapy. Through the use of evidence-based practices, Nilly helps couples and families gain strategies and tools to create a more peaceful and happy home. I'm looking forward to having a chat with Nilly about how family therapy works, what are some of the things we can do to improve our relationships, when should we engage in family therapy, and what do we do if our partner or family member doesn't want to engage in therapy. Welcome Nilly to Mind and Soul Matters. Thanks so much for having me here, Farah. I'm really looking forward to having this discussion today. Fantastic. Let's start with understanding family therapy, what it is and how it's different to individual therapy. That's a really good question. So people often wonder, what are family therapists? So basically, family therapists are psychologists or counsellors who counsel multiple family members together. So this could be a couple, it could be parents and a child, multiple members from a blended family, or even several generations together. But the main difference lies in our focus. So in individual therapy, the focus is on the individual's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and how we can help them improve that, as you would know. But in family therapy, the focus is on the interactions and the relationships. So it's with the notion that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So we view the family through a systemic lens. So rather than seeing the problem arising from one individual or another one, view the problem as coming from the system. And that's where we intervene to help change the unhealthy patterns that have often developed over time. So the ultimate goal of family therapy is to improve connection, build on strengths and help families bring that joy and love back into their relationships. And this is where I really love that concept of fortress for well-being for our homes, which is from the Baha'i writings, because, you know, the term fortress conveys this sense of safety, where safety is far more than just physical safety. It's that emotional and psychological safety that are really crucial. And if we can cultivate these qualities in our homes, then we can protect ourselves from those external threats and those internal stressors. So it becomes our homes really are then a place of comfort and support that help us cope with the challenges 
that we face in life. And to me, that's the ideal hope. Mm, That sounds wonderful. I'm sure we all aim for having homes like that. That sounds brilliant. What are some of the most common issues you see in your practice? So broadly speaking, I see three types of issues. The first one is communication problems, and these can manifest in different ways. So for example, difficulty expressing emotions, not feeling heard, frequent misunderstandings, etc. The second issue is behavioural problems in children or adolescents. So these can include things from academic performance to acting out, sibling rivalry, to issues with even anxiety or ADHD and its impact on the family system. But the third and the most common is relationship difficulties. So these are difficulties between partners, in blended families, strained relationships between siblings or between parents and children. So in this category, the real problem I see is an inability to resolve conflict in a healthy way. Mm. Now, you being a therapist as well, you know conflict is inevitable. Mm. You know, we all have different ways of looking at things. So when we live together, it's absolutely normal to annoy each other from time to time. Um, Like a funny example I see a lot in my practice is couples fighting over how to load the dishwasher. Mm -hmm, You know, they mm -hmm. each think they have the superior method and will fight with each other over how it should be done. So then the question for me becomes, how do we navigate these small and big issues in our relationships whilst maintaining that respect and closeness and connection. So I draw inspiration from this beautiful concept in the Baha'i writings, which is called consultation. And this can be used in any setting. So it can be used in our families, it can be used at work meetings, in friendships, etc. So in consultation, when we have a view, firstly, we express it with the utmost courtesy, dignity, care and moderation. But once the idea is spoken, it's on the table with everybody else's ideas and you're completely detached from it. So the goal then becomes for everyone to find the truth or the best solution. No one is trying to protect their own idea. And that immediately sets up a very collaborative approach to problem solving as opposed to a very competitive approach that we see a lot in today's world. So that combined with speaking kindly to each other. I love this quote from the Baha'i writings as well, which says, A kindly tongue is a lodestone of the hearts of men. It clothed the words with meaning. It is the fountain of light and wisdom and understanding. And a lodestone is like a magnet, so it really expresses that magnetic power of kind and gentle speech and how it can be imbued with the power to connect us with others and create that sense of mutual understanding. In healthy conflict, both parties are able to listen to each other's perspectives and validate each other's feelings and work together to find a resolution that addresses both their needs. 
And this sort of conflict can actually strengthen relationships and lead to growth and problem solving. So I'd like to maybe share an example Mm -hmm. of how this can work. So say there's a couple Mm -hmm. and they want to go on a holiday Mm -hmm. and they've chosen their destination, but one of them says, I want to have a really lavish holiday. And the other one says, no, 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 I want to have a very cheap holiday because we got to put the rest of the money into our mortgage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So immediately we have different sorts of needs. Mm But if we really listen to each other and get to the core of the needs of each person, we might find that the person who said, I want a lavish holiday, what they actually mean is they like staying at five-star hotels. They don't care how they get there. They don't need business class. They can go on a cheap flight. They don't have to eat at five-star restaurants. They're happy to eat anywhere, but they really want the experience of the five-star hotel. So the other one might say, all right, so this hotel you want to stay at, say, costs $2,000 more than what the hotel I would have picked at was Mm going to cost. How can we make up this extra money? And Mm -hmm. then they could do some problem solving. So for example, say they have a cleaner coming every week. They could say, well, maybe she can come every second week and we can clean in between. Maybe instead of doing three takeouts a week, we can do some cooking on a Sunday together and save that money. So then we have that $2,000. So that one who wanted to save is happy. And we're also staying at the five-star hotel. So the other one's happy. If they were very quick to compromise, they might end up with an average holiday where neither of them are happy because they're not staying at a nice hotel and they're not you know, saving as much as the first one wanted. And, and so, resentment builds. Yes, mm. exactly. Mm. And and no one feels sort of happy. Mm. And that's where, you know, if we spend that bit of time really getting to each other, uh, to understand each other's needs, we can have much better resolutions to our problems. Mm. Mm. It's a very interesting style of communication with consultation, isn't it? And I have heard about, you know, from coming from a Baha'i perspective, this concept of consultation and have tried to practice it in different settings. And one thing that once I heard about consultation that I found really interesting is that when we are in the true spirit of consultation, what we're trying to see and hear is What is the truth in what the other person is trying to say? Because usually when we are having conflict or differences of opinion, what we're trying to actually do is prove our point across and get the other person to see the truth in what I'm saying because what I'm saying is correct. But one of the ways that this consultation, concept of consultation was once explained to me is trying to see what is the truth in what the other person is saying. And I found that quite an interesting shift for me when I started to look at it that way. Communication and consultation is one of the tools, I guess, but I was wondering if you have any tips or advice how we can enhance our relationships within the family, whether it's with our partner or our children. There's so many things I could say, but I think if I was going to filter it down to two pieces of advice, the first one would be on reflective listening. Now, I find that most people think they're good listeners, but they listen either to answer back, 
to rebut, to tell their own story. They don't really listen to understand the other person's perspective. Hmm. So in reflective listening, which what therapists do, so I know you're really good at this, we look at the content and the feelings. So this is what I sort of teach people in a therapy is imagine that you're a mirror and you just want to quieten that chatterbox in your head and you want to really listen to what this person's saying and what they're feeling and reflect it back to them. And it doesn't mean that you agree with what they're saying. You just have to allow them to see that you've heard them and you've seen them and you're understanding their perspective. So that would be the first thing. And that could be such a useful skill in any relationship, isn't it? Not even just within the family, but as you said, within workplace it could be or with our friends in any relationship when we really listen, that can really enhance that relationship. Absolutely. Mm. You, you're very correct. And uh, if people go off and try, they often come back and go, wow, that, you know, that was really powerful and I really didn't expect the person to react in the way that they did and, you know, it just changed the direction of our conversation. So it's a really easy thing to do if you set your mind to it, but just need to empty your own mind and just really get into understanding the other person's perspective. So in practice, what would that look like? For example, my child comes home and they've had a really bad day at school and, for example, someone has picked on them, has mm. teased them. What would that look like if a child is speaking to a parent and saying, I had a really terrible day and they're crying and they're upset? What would that kind of listening look like? What would the parent say? I think that parents sometimes are very quick to either want to get in there and give advice mm -hmm. to the child or try to elevate the child's mood by like saying, let's go for some ice cream, let's make some cookies. But what's happening for that child right now is that they're having these big feelings and they need to process those feelings. So the best thing the parent could do is to really get in and connect with what it feels like to be like that and to reflect that back to the child. So, you know, it sounds like you've had a really awful day, you know, people were really mean to you. They might then want to talk about a time maybe they were at school and that happened to them. And so the child understands, oh, I'm not alone. My parent has gone through something similar. And once they're able to process those feelings, then it's okay to talk about, you know, what do you want to do to make you feel better and we can go get some ice cream. But the first step is to really connect with that feeling. So that's my first bit of advice. Yep. And the second one, I just thought about, I'd like the listeners to have something to walk away with and be able to implement at home. Mm -hmm. And I have this sort of seven steps of healthy conflict resolution that I do with couples and families. And I thought I'd share that and maybe we can go back and look at them. Yeah. So it's time for us to get our pens and paper out and start taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Seven, or, nearly seven steps. <laughs> yes, that's right. Or we put a link to... Yes, we'll um, do that. ...something I've written on it. So... I'm going to do this in relation to a real-life example, okay? Mm -hmm. So something else that I see in the therapy room is maybe a couple where one of them is complaining that the other one's on their phone all the time at night and they're not spending enough time with them and they're getting really annoyed about this, okay? So let's use real-life examples. Mm -hmm. 
So step one for me is self-awareness. So how is this issue impacting me? So that's what the person needs to really hone in on. So instead of thinking, gee, my partner is really inconsiderate, they need to think, oh, I'm feeling really lonely. I'm feeling disconnected from my partner. So really understanding what it is that I'm feeling. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Step two is to find a suitable time to discuss this. So often, you know, when we're really upset about something, we might bring it up at the wrong time. You know, you're rushing out the door, you're in the middle of another fight, you know, things, you know, it's not a really good time. So you want to, you know, talk to your partner and say, you know, when is a good time to discuss something and just have a time where you're both emotionally regulated because that's when your brains are going to work the best. And just in case some of our listeners aren't familiar with that term emotionally regulated, what does that mean? Okay, so what I mean is our emotions aren't heightened uh, because we know when our emotions are heightened, we're not our most diplomatic selves. Mm -hmm. We don't filter ourselves as much. We might say things that we regret later. So when you're calm and peaceful and in a good place. Mm-hmm. Okay. The third step is to listen and empathise. So it kind of goes back to that first advice I gave on reflective listening. So listen to really understand the other person's perspective. So say going back to that scenario, the person bringing it up again, they should do it with that spirit of kindness that we talked about. So They could say, honey, I've noticed that you're spending a lot of time on your phone at night and that's making me feel really disconnected from you. Can we do something about this? And the other one needs to listen and empathise and reflect back. So they might say, oh, it sounds like you've been feeling really lonely instead of going, well, it's all right for you. You get to answer your text messages during the day, but this is the only time I can connect with family and friends. So, you know, how inconsiderate of you to make me stop using my phone. Mm. So you want to really get in, understand the other person's perspective. And once you do, the other partner will be ready to listen and understand your perspective and what's going on for you. Because there's always two sides to a story. So once they've gone through that stage of really understanding each other, I say step four is creative solutions. And this is where you can use that concept of consultation I talked about. All ideas are on the table. You can have funny ones, creative ones, you know, just play with it. It could be a quite a fun problem-solving kind of session that you have together, again, to satisfy, you know, both sets of needs. What if in the step earlier things escalate and people start to get their defences up? They're kind of not quite able to follow the steps as you've identified and and said. Okay, if you do, I say take a break. Take Mm -hmm. a break and come back to it. Because remember that emotional regulation is a really important step in this. So if you find you've become really upset with each other, say, oh, look, let's take a break and talk about this later but do talk or come back to it don't Mm -hmm. leave it so another day you know a couple of hours later whatever works for them right so yeah so then in step five we select a solution okay so say in this case the couple decide okay we get home at six o'clock from work 
and between six and eight, we're going to cook a meal together, spend time together, eat, clean up. Then at eight o'clock, you go answer your messages and I want to go off to the gym or something like that. Then they're both happy. Both their needs are being met. The one that wants to spend time has got some of that and the one who wants to answer their messages also knows they can do it without feeling guilty because there's a time to do that. Then there is step six, which is a really important step, which I find people don't do. You have to establish a trial period because A, people don't like committing to something that's going to be like for a long time and B, things can go wrong after trying something new for a few days or you know a couple of weeks. So I say... Set a time. So say this couple says, let's do this for a week and come back and see how it goes. And then step seven is to evaluate the results and renegotiate if necessary. So again, in this case, say the one that used to be on their phone says, look, honey, I notice when I come home from work and there's a lot of messages on my phone and a couple of them are urgent. I'm feeling anxious the whole time we're cooking and eating. I'm thinking about answering that message and it makes me less present. So can I have 15 minutes when I first get home to at least just answer those quick messages and then we can spend a couple of hours together? And the other one will go, yeah, you know, sure, of course, they want their partner to be present. So then they might say, look, okay, let's try this for a week and come back and see. So it's, it's kind of a process that keeps improving. And I find when they do it that way, it has really positive results for the couple. And they get to understand each other better, but they can see how they can creatively solve their issues. Mm. And in family therapy, do these steps, do they get to practice it in session with you or their family therapist? Yes, So often if they've got into a point where they get into a lot of trouble, like you said before, where they get their emotions heightened Mm -hmm. and so on, it's good to have a coach in the room that helps them through that process and makes sure and then we go back and reevaluate. So it gives them a model to work with, especially if they're not used to solving problems in this way. Mm. Some of the obstacles or challenges that relationships encounter is sometimes related to kind of quite deep-seated childhood patterns and uh, habits. I'm thinking, how would that then get resolved in family therapy? Well, we work with the couple and we, you know, we try to uncover those issues Mm -hmm. because you're quite right. You know, so say we have a couple and uh, one of them gets back home from going out for a couple of hours in the evening and they see that the dishes are still all on the kitchen bench and it hasn't been done and then they suddenly really lose their cool and start yelling because to them that means far more than the dishes haven't been cleaned. Mm. It means you don't love me. You didn't care enough about me to go and wash those dishes that I had used for cooking dinner. So you see how sometimes... Things can come, like you said, from a much deeper place. Mm. And those sorts of issues, I think, yeah, really need to be resolved in therapy because we really need to find out, you know, what's going on deeper, some attachment issues that may have come up, some ways that people have grown up with different models of conflict resolution, etc. Absolutely. So when should we consider seeing a family or couple therapist? 
All right. So I have a short and a long answer for this. <laughs> My short answer is when you're going through the same fights and arguments over and over and you feel like you need some extra help. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the longer part of the answer is I find people are sometimes very hesitant to seek help. Mm. And there's generally for three reasons. The first one is that they think the problem isn't serious enough. But the same people, if they cut their finger and had an infection, will run to the GP for some antibiotics and won't wait until the infection is so bad that the finger needs to be amputated. Mm. Okay, so I'll let the listeners think about that analogy in relation to Mm. their own families. The second one is fear of judgment. They don't want to talk about these personal problems with a stranger. But you cannot get more non-judgmental than family therapist. And, you know, we've seen it all and nothing surprises us. And our aim is really to bring those bonds of connection back into the family. So that shouldn't really stop people. And the third one is that they sometimes feel that they are incapable if they can't fix their own problems. Mm. Like our family problems should be something that we should be able to fix But at the same time, you know, they'll happily call a plumber to fix the plumbing in their house. You know, if their computer gets taken over by ransomware, they'll call their IT guy to fix that. So I'm not sure why people think they need to have the expertise to fix their family issues. Mm. And my advice would really be seek help earlier or even come for a bit of maintenance. You know, I take my car in for service every six months, even though there's nothing wrong with it, because I want it to be, you know, everything to be checked. So when people leave it too long, those patterns become ingrained and it's much harder to fix. And also deep hurt can set in, which can really lead to all that resentment that you spoke about and disconnection. So the sooner you catch it, the better it is. Mm, Absolutely. And what about when people say, well, I've tried family therapy, they've been to one, maybe two sessions, and it didn't work. Family therapy doesn't work. You got to give it a little bit of time because it's a process. And often these patterns have built up over many years. So one or two sessions might not be enough to fix it. There has been times when I've seen someone for just a couple of sessions and they've got, you know, some understanding around an issue and that's helped them. But often you got to give it a bit of time. Just like if I go to the gym twice, I am not going to get like big muscles or the toning that I want. You know, I got to keep going for a while to get the results I need. Mm, mm, good point. And also sometimes you might go to the gym and you don't like that particular gym, but you can try a different gym and... The, the other gym you'll kind of feel fits for you better and the courses fit, fit better. So maybe sometimes also trying for a different therapist if the fit's not right. That is really true. And we do talk about that therapeutic relationship and you really have to be, you know, comfortable with mm. your therapist. So just because one didn't quite fit might mean that you could try a different one mm. to help you. Mm. So what should we do if our partner or the family, other family member doesn't want to engage in therapy? Ideally, it would be great to get all the members in the room because that's how you get the fastest rate of change. But having said that, I do treat individuals. And the reason is, is that when you look at problems in a systemic way, 
then if you change one part of the system, you can impact the entire system. So if you can visualize a whole set of dominoes and, you know, you push one and the entire thing goes off. And that's sometimes what it's like in our families. You know, one person says one thing and it just triggers a whole set of reactions and fights and so on. But imagine if you went in and removed a couple of the dominoes from the middle of that set of dominoes, then when you push it, it doesn't go all the way. It will stop where those two dominoes have been removed. And that's the way that I see it working in that sort of systemic way. So my message to those sorts of people is don't despair because you can be that catalyst for the positive change in your family. Wonderful. And what a wonderful place for us to end today's episode. Thank you so much, Nelly, for sharing your expertise and advice. And we will put up a link to the seven steps that you talked about on our episode notes and on our website, mindandsoulmatters.podbean.com. So we will have a link on there. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared and made it so interesting and relatable. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you also to you, our listeners. You can continue to support us by sharing your favorite episode with a friend and following Mind and Soul Matters on your preferred podcast app and on social media where you can also keep up to date with our upcoming live forums. Look out for our next forum where you can zoom in from anywhere in the world or join us in Perth in Western Australia. Look forward to your company next time on Mind and Soul Matters. 